Hey, Memorial Heights, it's Pastor DJ. Hope that you're having a great day. Uh, hope that you got to enjoy some of that sunshine out there today. I've been having fits trying to get my midweek lesson uploaded, so we're just going to try this Facebook Live. This is my first time doing Facebook Live here in the office by myself, and so um, we've already had one misfire, misstart, but uh, got the camera turned the right way now, so uh, we're going to uh, look at the scriptures here together in a few moments. But before we get to our midweek lesson, let me just encourage you, if you do have a need, uh, please call us here at the office. Please let us know here on Facebook so that we can pray for you, pray with you. Um, I just talked to Charles Paul, and he's asking for prayer for his brother Jeremy, Jeremy Wagner, who's been having some really bad headaches, and they found an abnormal spot on the left side of his brain. And so um, he's going to have an MRI tomorrow. So please lift up Jeremy in your prayers. But if, if you have a need, please let us know. Now, I've been having some problems uh, with my phone. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed as we uh, get through this uh, Facebook Live together that my, my phone does what it needs to do. Um, we are going to be upgrading our phones, uh, Gigi and I, here in uh, a few weeks after we get moved. Uh, and so I've had some issues with my voicemail, uh, but I, I still can communicate via phone and via text. And uh, certainly if you leave a message, I will get back to you as soon as I can. So uh, please uh, let us know if there's a way that we can help you. And uh, we want to uh, uh, be there for you through uh, this time. As we're all excited about the time that we're going to get back together and worship together. But until then, let's continue to pray for each other, pray with each other, and encourage one another. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to continue to talk about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We've been talking about things pertaining to the kingdom of God from Acts chapter 1, verse 3. In the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, Jesus was spending time with his disciples talking about the kingdom of God. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the specifics about that. He doesn't tell us specifically what he was teaching about the kingdom of God. But I think the reason for that is because there's so much in the Gospels that is revealed to us about what Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. And so we know that there were things that Jesus taught that the disciples didn't understand until after the resurrection, and then uh, God opened their understanding. In fact, listen to what Luke says in Luke chapter 24. This is on the day of the resurrection. This is uh, in the upper room. And Jesus, speaking to the disciples, said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then, uh, verse 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So we know there are things that Jesus taught the disciples that they did not understand until after the resurrection until after Jesus opened their understanding. And so we can surmise, we can conjecture that the things that Jesus was teaching the disciples about the kingdom, uh, some of that could have been and, and likely was reteaching or reinforcing some things that Jesus had already taught them uh, in, uh, in his ministry, during his ministry. And those things are revealed to us in the Gospels, which is why uh, Luke didn't focus on them specifically in Acts chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 13, let's talk about mysteries of the kingdom of God, mysteries of the kingdom. Now, I love a good mystery. When I was in my 20s, I got into Agatha Christie novels, and especially the uh, Hercule Poirot books, uh, that uh, eccentric little Belgian detective who never missed a clue and who was always able to pick out the inconsistency in somebody's stories. And I loved reading those novels. In fact, 
when I was unpacking my books here in the office, I found this uh, box set of Agatha Christie novels that were my grandfather's that I got after he passed away. And uh, I know at least three of these books I have not yet read. So after we get settled into our new house and I actually have some time to do some reading, I'm going to enjoy digging into these uh, mystery novels. But a good mystery novel or a good mystery story uh, is great or good or great because it, it gives you the clues. But until there's the reveal, until there's the big twist, you can't put all the clues together. And when that twist comes or when that revealing comes and you see all the pieces fit together, uh, then you don't feel if it's a good story, if, it, if the author's good, you don't feel cheated. You don't feel like the author was cheating you, uh, but you do feel outsmarted. You do feel uh, that the satisfaction of, of being tricked in a way into thinking it was the, the, the whodunit was the other person or, you know, it's not always the butler who did it. So. Uh, I love those mysteries. I love those stories where everything, when there's that revealing, when there's that twist, then everything comes together and there's that aha moment where you say, why didn't I see that before? How, why wasn't that obvious to me before? Well, the Bible is full of mysteries. Uh, many of those mysteries have been revealed to us now in the church age. Not all of them have been revealed. But the Bible does uh, talk about and, and tell us that it includes many mysteries. In the Old Testament, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher the Hebrew and the Greek here, but in the Old Testament, the, the word is, I believe, kidao, which means a, a riddle. It's often translated as riddle or dark saying or dark speech or hard question. Uh, the Greek is uh, musterion, musterion. There's probably a, a bovine joke in there somewhere. You can, you can uh, add your own bovine joke there in the comment section below. But the, um, the Greek uh, musterion means, according to Strong's uh, concordance, it, it means a, a mystery or a secret for which an initiation is required. Helps Word Study says that it's not something that you can't know, it's not something unknowable, but it's something that requires revelation, divine revelation to really know or to really understand. And so there are mysteries in the scriptures that are given to us that uh, we can't really understand until something else happens, until there's an, initi an initiation. And so when Christ came and he died for our sins and he rose again, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and the Holy Spirit sent out the Apostle Paul, there were things, there was an initiation, there were things that could then be revealed, riddles, clues that had been left through the Old Testament then that could, that could then be put together. And so in Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about the mystery of Christ in us, uh, the mystery of the church. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the mystery of the rapture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we'll all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And so these are things that were hinted at or there were clues that were in the Bible prior to that. But until the initiation or until the twist, until the revealing, uh, the the riddle was still a riddle. Uh, people could could get some of the clues together, but they, it wasn't clear what the Bible was saying. There are some things that are still mysteries. Uh, I think of Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, the mystery of iniquity or the mystery of lawlessness, which deals with the identity of the Antichrist and the um, arrival of the Antichrist and, and the work that he's going to do. There are a tremendous amount of puzzle pieces that the Bible gives us about the Antichrist. But until he is actually revealed, 
there, there's still going to be a lot of debate and confusion. And the fact that there are so many different theories and there's so, many, so much disagreement is evidence that the mystery has not yet uh, been revealed completely. It's been revealed partly, but not completely. Right along with that, the mystery of Babylon, uh, Babylon the Great, Revelation 17, the end times Babylon mystery. A lot of clues that the Bible gives us. But until uh, everything at the end times really completely falls into place and there's that initiation, there's that revealing, there's still going to be a lot of debates. Some people say well, it's the Roman Catholic Church and others say, no, it's Islam. And other people uh, say, no, it's literal Babylon. And there's a lot of different theories uh, about what uh, Mystery Babylon is. And we'll, we'll talk more about Mystery Babylon at some other point. But Revelation chapter 10 uh, gives us a... Uh, uh, a set of judgments that are actually sealed and actually hidden from us. They're still a mystery. They're called the thunder judgments. And when John went to write them down, he was told, no, 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 seal those. Don't, don't reveal those. Uh, the mysteries of God will not be completely revealed uh, until these judgments sound. And when these judgments sound, in fact, it's uh, Revelation chapter 10, verse uh, 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, speaking of the thunder judgments, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So until that happens, there are still mysteries in the Bible. There are still riddles. There are things that, are, that we're still going to scratch our heads even in the church age. And we're not going to completely understand that the tribulation saints will be able to understand in those days. But we don't want to concern ourselves with the mysteries that we can't be sure about. We want to talk today about the mysteries that God has revealed to us mysteries of the kingdom because when christ came there was an initiation there was a revealing the revealing of the messiah coming to his people and remember we talked about the kingdom of god the last few weeks and we said that there are really two essential elements to the kingdom of god there is the king and the dumb there is the king in his domain king ruling his dominion and, and exercising dominion uh, initially uh, and centrally over israel over his from his throne in Jerusalem and over his people, but then through them over the entire world. And we'll know that that's happened because Christ will literally be enthroned. Uh, the nation of Israel will literally be glorified. And then we will also see the curse thrown into reverse, a reverse of the curse. We'll see a, a healing of the planet, uh, a healing of uh, the nations uh, where that begins and, and there's no more warfare. And we'll see people living uh, hundreds and hundreds of years instead of just decades we'll be living hundreds they'll be living hundreds of years we'll we'll have uh, uh, immortality we'll have our immortal bodies at that point but um, there are things that Jesus was able then to reveal uh, at his, at that initiation as he presented himself uh, to the nation of Israel now John tells us, the Gospel of John tells us that he came unto his own, but his own received him not. And so as we said last week, as we saw last week, the kingdom of God, uh, it was presented. John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it was also postponed. It was delayed uh, because the people rejected their king, rejected their Messiah, Jesus. And so it was all part of God's plan that the plan was that... Um, that God understood what was going to happen, and, and God sent his son to die for our sins, uh, to pay the sin debt of all mankind, and he shed his blood, and in his death and in his resurrection, we can have justification, we can have forgiveness of sins, we simply need to repent of our sins and recognize that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, and call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And when we do that, we are born again. And so this initiation allowed for the mysteries of the kingdom to be revealed. 
so that's what a mystery is. Uh, that's what the kingdom is. Uh, but listen to what Jesus says about the revealing of these mysteries. He does them in a way that we would not expect. He does them primarily in the Gospels through parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable, the word parable means to cast alongside. And a parable is a story that is told alongside a truth, uh, and it is meant to do two things. It's meant to both reveal and conceal. It's meant to reveal truth, but it's also meant to conceal truth to hide truth. And you say, well, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, listen to what Jesus says, because in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples, after he tells one of the most famous parables, which we're going to look at here in just a few minutes, uh, the disciples ask him, why are you teaching in stories? Why don't you just come out and, and clearly say, we're having a hard time understanding you, Jesus. And so the disciples, verse 10 of Matthew 13, the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, why would God reveal to the disciples but conceal from the people? Well, he doesn't leave us to guess. He actually goes on to tell us. Verse 13 says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So Jesus said, look, I'm here, I'm offering them, I've offered them uh, healing, I've offered them uh, conversion, but they have closed their eyes, they have made their ears dull, their ears have become dull, they've hardened their hearts, and so because of the prophecy of Isaiah, because of the judgment, uh, I'm now going to conceal the truths that I'm revealing to you as a consequence of their judgment. Now, remember, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. The prophecies of the Old Testament told exactly where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They told exactly how the Messiah would be born of a virgin. They said who he would be descended from, David, that he would... Uh, had the throne of his father David. They said in Daniel chapter 9 when the Messiah would be killed, when he would be cut off, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. And so given the time of his death, they could guesstimate pretty closely the time of his birth. And so they knew about when he was would be born exactly where he would be born and Bethlehem was not a major metropolitan area that would have required lots and lots of uh, detective work to find uh, a a new child being born Uh, and not only that but when he was born they had the testimony of the angels they had the testimony of the shepherds they had the testimony of the wise men who came uh, after his birth uh, but but made a ruckus in the city of Jerusalem when they showed up a few years after the birth of uh, the Messiah. They had the star of Bethlehem in the sky. And yet even there, they had all these signs. They had Anna and, Sim- and Simeon in the temple when Jesus was brought to be dedicated. They had their testimony and their prophetic testimony. And nevertheless, even though the Messiah had come in fulfillment of prophecy and God had given them all these signs and all these clear indications, they still rejected, for the most part, most of them still rejected their Messiah. And so because of that, there was a very specific judgment 
on a very specific group of people for a very specific purpose. And that is why he is teaching them in parables. You know, I, I use illustrations and I try to tell stories uh, if I think it's going to help us to understand something. Uh, but w- there's a difference between someone who tells stories and a storyteller. And some pastors today are all about storytelling. And I've actually, I remember actually hearing one who, who used to be very prominent before he um, fell out of ministry because of some sin in his life, um, not sexual sin, but some other um, improprieties in his life. Uh, and I remember him defending the fact that he told so many stories. And of course, he pointed to Jesus and said, well, Jesus told stories, so we should tell stories too. Well, yes, Jesus did tell stories, but why did he tell stories? It wasn't just to reveal truth. It was also to conceal truth. It was also as a result of judgment. And so we're concerned with the revealing of, for the disciples. What is it that Jesus is revealing to us? And so we're going to look at a very specific prophecy, or a very specific parable, excuse me, here in just a moment that's going to lead into some prophetic parables. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 13, we see an introductory parable. We see six middle parables that all have to do with the kingdom of heaven. And then we see a closing parable that kind of summarizes what Jesus has just done. So when we look at this, these eight, and we're not going to do all of them today, Lord willing, we're going to, we're going to look at most of them actually next week. We're just going to really focus on one today. But when we look at these eight parables uh, all together, Uh, The first one is an introduction, the last one is a conclusion, and then you have the six in the middle that deal with the kingdom of heaven. And we know that they specifically deal with the kingdom of heaven because Jesus tells us they specifically deal with the kingdom of heaven. For example, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like to. Uh, Verse 33, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto, etc., etc. Now, These are parables. Jesus very clearly says, these are parables of the kingdom of heaven. And what do you need to have the kingdom of heaven? You need the king and the dome. You need the king in his dominion. You need the king ruling over his domain and exercising his dominion over his domain. And so many times I hear these parables taught as if they are to us and about us. The parables that we're going to look at uh, next week, beginning next week, are not about us. They're not to us. They're for us. Because there are things that they have to teach us, and because we should all we should be all about the kingdom. I mean, if if I'm a child of God, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of, of God's kingdom, and I'm going to rule and reign forever with Him. And so I should be all about His uh, glory. I should be all about His reign and authority. That should be what drives me. That should be what what motivates my life. But that doesn't mean that that's all written about me. When we talk about these parables, they're for me, but they're, it's not about me, okay? So, all of the Bible is for me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, that the Holy Scriptures, Paul said, are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, uh, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect thoroughly furnished or thoroughly equipped unto all good works, that that we would be complete and mature and able to serve the Lord the way that he wants us to serve him. So all of the scripture is for us, but it's not all written directly to us or about us. Some of it's written about people coming in the future during the millennial reign, during the kingdom. Some of it's written uh, for people living under the old covenant. For example, I have never gone to temple with the lamb. 
uh, to offer a sacrifice to cover my sin and then had to go back again with another lamb to offer another sacrifice to cover my sin and then to offer another lamb to cover my sin or uh, be part of the day of atonement where the high priest would offer a sin uh, for uh, offer a sacrifice for his own sin and to make atonement for the temple and for the articles in the temple and for all the people uh, because those things the book of Hebrews tells me were shadows and models but the fulfillment has come in Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ shed his blood, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God shed his perfect blood and died on the cross in my place and in your place, and because he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave, then I can be completely forgiven. When I, when, I am, uh, when I am placing my faith in Jesus Christ, I am being completely forgiven. And I don't need to go back and get resaved and, and get uh, um, uh, an, another act of salvation because it's not like in the old covenant where I need to continually cover, keep my sins covered. Now my sins are, are forgiven. Now my sins are actually removed as far as the east is from the west. And so that those things are for me in the sense that I can learn things about the character of God. I can learn things about the nature of Christ. I can learn things about human nature. I can learn things uh, about God's atonement. They're models, they're shadows, but it's not written directly to me and it's not about me. It doesn't apply directly to my situation because I'm living in the dispensation of grace. I'm living under the complete and total forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so that's true of, the, of things in, that are written about the past. It's through, true also about the things that are written about the future. So when we get to next week, when we talk about the, the parables of the kingdom, uh, these parables are specifically about the time that's going to come in the future. It's not about the church age, not about us. But this parable is about us because this first parable, which is written in Matthew and it's recorded in Mark and it's in uh, the book of Luke as well. Three times God laid this parable down for us because this parable is not about the kingdom. It's not the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of heaven is this. This parable is about the message of the kingdom. It's about the word of the kingdom. And it's about the spreading of the word of the kingdom. Now, what is the word of the kingdom? Well, John chapter 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the message of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is for everyone. And the word of the kingdom is that Jesus Christ has come. He has died for your sin. He has rose again. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you eternal life. But unless you accept it, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is the message of the kingdom. That is our message is what we've been talking about in the Great Commission on Sunday mornings. So our message is the kingdom. So this parable is part of the mysteries of the kingdom, but it's the message of the kingdom. And this is the parable that applies to us directly today. So let's look at this parable of the kingdom together. And let's exercise our little gray cells, as Hercule Poirot would say, in understanding what this parable is all about. Uh, Mark chapter 4, again, Mark is one of the gospels, one of the three of the four gospels that record this parable. In Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says this about this parable. He says, know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? So this parable is actually uh, critical to understanding all the other ones. Jesus said, if you don't get this one right, you're going to mess up the other parables as well because you're not going to understand how the parables work and, and what I'm really communicating to you through these parables. So let's look at the parable and then let's unpack it together. Matthew chapter 13, 
uh, beginning in verse 1. The same day when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So here's Jesus. He comes out of the house. There's so many people gathered around to hear him that he has to get into a boat so that he can go out to the water so that he can uh, be away, far enough away from the people so that they can all see him, so that they can all hear him, and so that he can communicate this message. And he begins with the word, Behold. Pay attention to this. Listen to what I'm about to say. There's a sower, and he's going out to sow seed. And he sows seed on six different types of soil. He sows seed on uh, hard ground, uh, the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. And secondly, he fell, some fell on stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith, they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Uh, number three, when the sun was up, they were scorched. Excuse me, when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. Then number three, verse seven, some fell upon uh, thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. Uh, and then uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, verse eight, others fell into good ground Some and, and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, you got to explain to us this to us. And so then Jesus, after he tells them why he teaches in parables and that it's to reveal truth to them while he conceals it from those who are under judgment, because of their rejection of the message of the Messiah. Uh, he, he says this, and he explains this parable to them and to us. Verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself. But doeth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some in hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So we have six kinds of soil. We have Three types of soil that reject, ultimately reject the word, that are not fruitful, that do not respond uh, fruitfully to the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, how you enter the kingdom of God. And then you have three types that do receive it, but they have three different outputs. Uh, and we'll talk about those briefly in just a second. But three different kinds of negative soil, three different kinds of positive soil. Let's talk about the three negative first. First, uh, let's also consider what the soil represents. The soil represents, Jesus says, our hearts. The soil is the heart. The word, the seed is the word of the kingdom, the gospel, and the soil is our heart. So, first kind of heart that rejects the gospel, that doesn't respond by faith to the gospel, is the hard ground, uh, the ground that's been trampled on. And Jesus says that this hard ground is ground that does not understand the gospel. And so this is the person that hears the gospel and they have no clue that it just does not penetrate their heart at all. They just don't get it. They really don't get that they're a sinner or they just don't care that they're a sinner. Uh, they don't. They may uh, understand intellectually the historical aspects of the gospel, Jesus, that, that there was this guy named Jesus who died and people believe that he rose again. But, but they have no clue as to why that matters or, or what the gospel is all about. 
It just doesn't penetrate their heart at all. And before it can dig down into their heart, before it can begin to penetrate their heart, the devil comes along. Uh, because these birds represent uh, evil spirits and the work of the devil. Remember, First Timothy chapter 4 says that uh, some will depart from the faith, uh, giving heed to deceitful spirits uh, and doctrines of demons. This is uh, what the Spirit expressly says through the Apostle Paul to us. Uh, that people are gonna, uh, they're going to be part of the system, but they're going to of church, but they're going to reject that message, and they're going to depart from it. Well, these people, the 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 demons come along, the 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 system of the enemy comes along, and uh, through deception and distraction, uh, uh, the message is out of their brain, out of their mind. They don't even think a second thing of it. Satan's got them looking over here. He's got them distracted before the message can really work its way into their heart. And so that's the first kind. Uh, and that's the most obvious kind of rejection to see. When somebody uh, just completely rejects it, I mean, they, they have no interest in talking to you about the gospel. They have n- no interest whatsoever. They have a very hard heart. And so we need to pray uh, that a work of softening of their heart would begin uh, so that they would be receptive to the gospel. So that's the first kind of heart that rejects that, that, that rejects the gospel that doesn't respond by faith. The second kind is the stony heart. Now, the stony heart is very similar to the hard heart in the sense that this, in, in this sense, that it's hard underneath. There's a softness on the outside. They appear to be softened to the gospel, but when you get beneath the surface, there's just lots of rocks, and that rock can even be harder than the hard heart of the person who just completely rejects things outwardly. This is the person who makes the emotional experience. They have an emotional experience, but then they reject uh, the gospel. They, they are the people that, that I, we just talked about, First Timothy chapter 4, when they, they uh, are part of the faith, they're part of the system of faith, the system of teaching. Maybe they were born into the church or, or they started coming as teenagers to youth group or, or, or maybe they came because of a spouse and, and they got involved and they liked the relationship aspect. They had some kind of an emotional experience but there was no life change. There was no real reception to the gospel. There was no clear understanding that, hey, I'm a sinner and I need to deal with my sin. And the only way I can do that is by confessing my sin to Jesus and trusting in his death and his resurrection for my forgiveness and receiving him as, as my savior. Uh, they don't ever really get there. And so this is the person who has a salvation experience that's very emotional, but they can't really articulate anything about it because it's it, it wasn't really a volitional act of the mind to say, yes, I need Jesus Christ. It was just, hey, I'm part of this emotional experience and I really, you know, the music's got me crying and and I, I need to do something and so I'm going to, I feel better because I went forward. Well, why did you go forward? Well, you know, I had somebody tell me, well, you know, I, I, other people were going forward and I just felt so emotional. I went forward and I became a Christian. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I just, I, well, I don't really know, but I just, you know, I, I, I just had such an ex- emotional experience. That is the thorny ground. They appear to receive the gospel, but actually uh, they reject it. Um, then the third ground, the thorny ground. Uh, the thorny ground is the person who hears the gospel. They are mauling it over. Um, do I respond to this? They're under conviction, right? But ultimately, the cares of this world... The deceitfulness of riches uh, uh, in Mark, he adds uh, the lust for things in the world. Uh, those things choke out the message and they dis- and, and ultimately they choose their own pleasure and they choose their own pursuit and worship of themselves over 
the worship of God, over receiving the salvation, the free gift of salvation. Uh, they choose this life in this world. And so they don't produce anything either. They don't produce any the fruit of faith either. They don't respond by faith. They may be thinking it over. They may be, you can talk to them and have really interesting conversations with them. But unless they come to that decision where they're willing to place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're not truly born again. They're not truly a child of God. So those are the three ways that people reject the gospel. Uh, And then there are the three ways that people receive and respond and produce fruit of faith in the gospel. And and Jesus says those three fruit, those three types of ground are the fruitfulness of a hundredfold, the fruitfulness of sixtyfold, and the fruitfulness of thirtyfold. Now, why such a disparity of fruitfulness? Well, sometimes it's because the person who is producing a hundredfold is just that much more committed and they're just that much more obedient in their life and they're producing that much more fruit, eternal fruit for the kingdom of God. But sometimes it, it could be because they just got saved later in life and they just didn't have as, as long to live for the Lord. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait till you're at the end of your, of your life to get serious about your faith. Get serious where you are today. Uh, don't put it off. We want to produce as much as we can for the glory of Christ, uh, for the kingdom of Christ. We want to produce as much eternal reward as we can. And so we want to be, we don't want to be satisfied with being, uh, you know, 30-fold uh, believers or being even being 60-fold believers. We want to aim to be as committed and as obedient and as fruitful as we can by the power of God, by the grace of God ultimately for the glory of God. So as we think about these types of soils and these types of hearts, uh, the question is, um, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil? I can't look at you and, and tell necessarily. There's people that I thought were believers who no longer confess the name of Jesus Christ, and they turned out to be stony ground or they turned out to be thorny ground. Uh, there's some people that I thought, man, they made a profession of faith, but I'm not really sure. But later in life, that 30-fold began to produce itself. So I can't look into your heart. The Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit is the one who's looking inside your heart. Ask him what kind of soil you are. Are you the stony ground? Are you the thorny ground? Are you the hard heart? You probably know right away if you're the hard heart. But for those of us who have received Christ, what level of production are we at? What level of production are we satisfied with? We want to make sure that we are doing all that we can to be as obedient as we can be, as committed as we can be to the Lord Jesus Christ for his eternal glory. And the awesome part is that when we do that, we also experience the eternal eternal rewards in the kingdom of God. So our message right now is the gospel. It's the word of the kingdom. Here's how you get saved. Here's how you can become a child of God and part of the kingdom. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll begin to look at those kingdom parables and we'll see what the kingdom is really going to be like because it's not what we necessarily expect to happen when Christ sets up his kingdom on earth. God bless you guys and uh, hope to see you on Sunday for our live stream. See you soon.